This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos. Today, I'm speaking with Alexandra Robertson, VP of Client Growth and Innovation at XIL Health. It's a technology and consulting company supporting pharmacies, benefits managers, accountable care organizations and hospitals to innovate and optimize their healthcare businesses. Alexandra talks to us about the complexity and innovation opportunities for consumer access to drugs within the medical and pharmaceutical benefits system, its supply, and also its management. We look at the opportunities and threats to traditional bricks and mortar distribution models and explore how consumer access and patient experience can drive the strategic transformation beyond just medication management into more value-adding and sustainable wellness models. In a tech world, it's easy to think we just need one more piece of tech, but the important and simple questions need to be asked. Why and what? And only then can we address how, in an optimised and an effective way, we can deliver a solution. Alexandra walks us through the value of innovative healthcare advisors who want to use data and analytics and deep understanding of the current state and then put forward the right play of cultural innovation and health tech to deliver success. Let's jump in. Well, hey there, Alexandra. How are you doing today? I'm great, Yanni. How are you? I'm really well, thanks. So I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the journey that you've had within XIL Health and perhaps tell us a little bit about the name as well and explain that to us. I am the VP of Product Growth and Innovation at XIL Health. And really the name, it's funny you bring that up. We used to be called Shilong. And so that has a background with in China and Chinese. Our CEO, Susan Lang, did a lot of work during her career there. But we found that a lot of people find that hard to pronounce. So we shortened it to XIL Health because really we are looking holistically with our clients. We are a strategic analytics healthcare company where we really want to help them understand what's going on in the market and help bring value to their bottom line. A type of industry, so you're covering the pharmaceutical industry from a variety of different types of organizations that operate within that sector. Who typically are the type of customers that you're supporting and consulting to? We really do a broad range. So we have worked with Fortune 100 healthcare companies. We work with health tech startup companies. We work across whether it's even universities or specialty pharmacies. We do a lot of work in sort of, I would say, the retail pharmacy space, as well as PBMs, which are pharmacy benefit managers and healthcare technology to really help them understand ways that they can innovate and bring transparency to the data that they're collecting, which sort of led us to create one of our platforms called XIL Impact. And I think a lot of that stems from there's sort of this ubiquitous term around big data, but it's really understanding what you do with it. And so that's what led us to want to help our clients fill in that gap. How have you found the reaction from the industry to thinking through, I guess, how they work with data and the analytics that their business is generating 
And is that the only source of the analytics or are you sort of bringing in other layers of where the information could come from? We're bringing in other layers of where it can come from, whether that is pricing related, it can also be reimbursement related. We sort of understand from end to end the supply chain and the economics there, which I think can be really hard to understand sort of the ins and outs of what that looks like for our clients in a way that we have the ability to help break that down a little bit and really dig into their data and see holistically across the board what's going on in the healthcare industry, given our backgrounds. And tell me more about the background and when you were describing the XIL branding and the pivot with your naming. The way I relate anyway to your business is that you're quite strategic and consultative, but you're also using technology and strongly seem to advocate for that in helping your customers to innovate. Is that sort of a fair summary of how we can relate to XIL Health? Yeah, I think that's really fair. I think healthcare is not a new space, but I think what is new is how quickly technology is changing, and especially as it relates to healthcare. I think one of the things that COVID really did and what we've seen a lot is there's been a lot of winners and losers as it relates to business. But because of that, there's really been this big leap in terms of healthcare innovation. You touch a lot on this. You know, We've got pharmaceuticals that are 3D printed. We've got really interesting things happening in the healthcare space. And you also have, again, as it relates to data, not only to our clients, but consumers. Consumers want to understand what's going on with their health. And so I think what we're trying to do are find really interesting ways that our clients can innovate and pivot and sort of stay up with that fast-paced technology as it relates to healthcare. Let's broaden the context a little bit. So the typical clients that you're working with, what kind of problems are they experiencing at the moment or pain points in operating their businesses that really require that convergence of strategic thinking, the consultation, the data analytics in order to move them forward? One of the big things that we see as it relates to a lot of our clients and a lot of those sort of in the retail pharmacy space is their reimbursement. So as they're filling prescriptions, what is happening to those dollars? And so one of the things that by design, it's really opaque, it's not transparent sort of where it's coming from, how much they're getting reimbursed and sort of Our goal then is to really help them understand that pharmacy data in a way that is really easy to understand so that when they're going to negotiate with other third-party pharmacy benefit managers, they're able to understand dollar for dollar what those negotiations mean to their bottom line. Because at the end of the day, if they're upside down, if they are making less, in reimbursement, then it costs for them to fill that prescription, they're going to go out of business. And what we've actually seen is that a lot of independent pharmacies, which sort of exist for the most part in these rural markets, they have closed down because they're just simply not making enough money to stay open. I know back, we have numbers from 2019, but there 2,200 retail pharmacies closed their doors because of or reimbursement. And so then what happens is you sort of create these pockets where there's no care for consumers. So that local independent pharmacy might have been there 
only place really close by that they could have access to medication, which then can really relate to a whole host of things when then then they're not taking their medication and then, you know, sort of you're getting chronically sick and those types of things. So it's really important to understand how you're being reimbursed when it comes to operating a pharmacy, which today traditionally has been really difficult, which is why we launched Exile Impact to really help with that. And the feedback has been phenomenal, being able to really understand within milliseconds what is happening to their reimbursement as they try and negotiate those numbers around. Exile Impact, it's a software as a service platform. Is that a good description for it? It is. Yep. It's a cloud-based platform that we really built for the end user, the actual folks who are doing the negotiation or the CFO, the C-suite executive who wants to understand in real time what's happening with their operational metrics, which traditionally has not been something that a lot of folks have actually ability to access in an easy to understand way. Typically, you know, when you think of software as works today, they'll give a request to their IT team, they'll wait a couple of days, then get it back. A lot of things can happen in those two days, couple of days, whatever it is when sort of your IT team can get to it because they have a whole list of what they're already trying to accomplish. So this gives them a way to really plug and play and be able to go in for themselves. One surprises me actually that you describe the rural pharmacies going out of business. That's almost counterintuitive. You'd think that it would be a fairly good business to operate, but it seems that the problem seems to be somewhere in the supply chain. There are variations. Is that generally the gist of the problem where there are changes in the price points associated with the supply? It does equate to that a little bit, but a lot of times it happens to be size. So if you're an independent pharmacy and you operate one, you know, maybe that's your full-time job. You own that pharmacy and that's what you do. And you're the pharmacist there, which oftentimes can be the case sort of operating the pharmacy counter. Your reimbursement might be a lot worse than if you are, you know, one of the big three, which in the U.S. can be a CVS, a Walgreens. The bigger the size, the better you're going to be reimbursed because then we need you right in that network. So folks can go and fill their prescription. But when you're the independent and you have only a couple of chains or maybe just one, the reimbursement can be worse. So that sort of is what's driving that on top of combined with that, you've got something called DIR fees. It stands for direct and indirect remuneration, which are post point of sale transaction fees that are paid by the pharmacies when they fill a prescription to the third party PBMs pharmacy benefit managers, or being able to participate in a specific network called Medicare Part D. And so those fees have gotten so high that sort of the combination of the two has really driven a lot of independents to shut their doors. That seems like quite a big problem, especially if they're serving a local community, a local market, and then that sort of leads to, I'd imagine, an access problem to be able to fulfill scripts and be able to look after the care outcomes that are supported by the drugs. Maybe one logical way to relate to that problem would be that the chains will prevail in time as the independents progressively go out of business. But is that really the fate of the industry or by getting your analytics together and being able to actually figure out the right way to be procuring and how you participate in these various programs? Is that part of the answer that could allow any pharmacy to optimize its business operating model? There will be a lot of different approaches that pharmacies can and probably should consider. I think understanding 
your operational metrics, your numbers is critically important. I think it's a really good first step. How can you optimize what you're already doing? I think for us, when we talk to our clients, you know, you want to stabilize your current business. So what does that look like? And how can you get the best rates possible, whether it's from the procurement side, if you are actually procuring drugs, and then what also are you being reimbursed? So really making sure you can create as much efficiency there as possible before you then our next step in terms of what we would recommend is figuring out ways for pharmacies or other companies to then innovate. But even for us, like we always want to stabilize what we're currently doing before we then take on something else. So I do think it's critically important for them to understand that so they can make any changes that they need to try and figure out some different approaches to help make them more profitable. Pretty good advice then to sort of say, look, know your numbers, know what is driving your profitability or perhaps your lack of profitability and then to be able to implement strategies to address that. What about the innovation? Let's assume that pharmaceutical business model has got a good grip on its numbers. Where's the innovation potential? Are there things that pharmacies need to reimagine now, given that there are lockdowns or have been lockdowns, there have been changes in behavior from consumers with respect to whether they feel comfortable walking out in society and going to the bricks and mortar store as compared to alternatives, are they some of the innovation opportunities or um, are you describing something else when you talk about innovation? I think there are a couple of ways that you can innovate. I know one way that we're seeing a lot of which I think as the millennials, the Gen Zs, as what we think of when it comes to health is we look at it as wellness, which I think is really different to speaking for myself to how my grandparents look at it to how even maybe my parents look at it, right? Where they want to go to a doctor and have them be told maybe what they need to take or change. We as a generation, I think what we're starting to see is one, we view it as wellness. We view it holistically. So whether that's mental health, physical health, nutritional health, those types of things. But we also want to understand our own numbers and sort of what those numbers mean to us, whether it's our activity levels or you're seeing now, right? We've got technology, whether it's, Apple on your watch, giving you your heart rate, those types of things. We want to start to see over time what our normal pace is and things like that. So I think one of the innovations is really what we're starting to see in certain retail pharmacies, for instance, Kroger, where they're saying food is medicine. So it's really now going back to certain degrees where we're trying to actually take a much more holistic approach to making it a really long-term play in terms of our health. So I think that's a really interesting way that retail pharmacies can start to also make sure they broaden their target market, right? As it in terms of who they're trying to attract. So I think that's one way they can innovate. We've also, you know, we're trying to figure out drone delivery, right? Amazon's entering the healthcare space. A lot of tech companies realize that healthcare is not an easy solution. It's not a one size fits all, but there are maybe some ways that we're seeing with technology that we can try and, and test out and see you know, what sticks. I talk about innovation as two key domains. One is the tech, and it's really easy to think that tech is the solution for everything. However, tech gets used by humans. And I think that is a really important part of innovation is sort of understanding culture and thinking about innovation at a cultural level and then kind of through a high degree of empathy and understanding of what that culture currently looks like, then you can start to model technology that can 
tweak the culture, nudge it in a certain direction without necessarily disrupting people or expecting people to radically change their behaviors on a day-to-day basis because that doesn't seem to play itself out in life. You know, we often find that it takes quite a while for people to change their habits. It's quite a big commitment to actually be able to do that. So if we're all used to sort of going into a bricks and mortar facility in order to get access to drugs and medications, then I can see why the tech companies struggle with uh, trying to throw a solution at that, that perhaps hasn't necessarily taken into consideration the lag between where a person's at today and what they would need to do in order to modify their behaviors to then make the tech viable. What are your thoughts on that? Do you get a sense of that through the interactions you have with your clients? I do. I think we're all starting to see this shift that's happening, especially as it relates to wellness, which we've just talked on, but I completely agree. I think you have the human element happening with technology, which I think is what makes it challenging to figure out, right? You had sort of Haven, that joint venture between Berkshire Hathaway, Amazon, and JP Morgan, where after three years, they disbanded and Warren Buffett said, we couldn't figure it out, right? It's really hard. And I think it's changing those behaviors over time. I think you're absolutely right. And tech can start to play a really much bigger role in what that looks like. And for me, I think what the future looks like, it's really about connected wellness and starting to adapt what we're doing on a day-to-day basis and being connected. You've got the hearables and the wearables market really exploding and the amount of connected devices that currently exist. I want to say not necessarily, but an an app for everything to a degree. But I think as consumers, we're going to start taking that information in over time and I think we'll slowly start to change our own habits a little bit and potentially change the way we view healthcare, where it means going to a doctor, trying to take more pills. I think we're sort of going to shift away from that a little bit and where tech is really going to help us stay ahead of the curve and be more preventative, I think, over time. I was really intrigued by what you mentioned earlier about let food be thy medicine. Now, I think Mm -hmm. that's a famous quote from our history Is that sort of a reference to, I guess, the foundations and origins of health and wellness, where the type of foundation we need as humans is a function of what we're ingesting and putting into ourselves from a nutritional standpoint? Is that kind of the line that you're going into there, that the model of medication and pharmacy going forward would start to create a broader portfolio of products that are not, strictly speaking, drugs? Yes, that's exactly what we're seeing, actually. So when I mentioned the DIR fees, direct and indirect remuneration, so as part of Medicare Part D, which is the network that DIR fees apply to, what we're seeing actually by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, CMS, they're actually starting to incorporate as a part of a client or a consumer's adherence, they're looking at overall health and they're starting to take in nutritional factors as a part of that. So I think that's a little bit of a foreshadow of what's to come. And you also see a lot of companies sort of introducing just more holistic ways to even be focused when it comes to things like coffee, right? You have mushroom coffee, or you have adaptogens, you have different ways, because again, coffee can really fatigue your adrenal glands. So we're trying to figure out a way to sort of more holistically incorporate more plant-based or just food as medicine type lifestyle, I think. 
So that's super exciting to think about the innovation opportunities then where we evolve past this model of prescription because we've sort of got a, a narrow band approach to medicine in the sense that you go to a general practitioner, for example, or issues a prescription and that's the only way you can access that particular uh, product. But then you have to go to a specialist location, which is the pharmacy in order to get it. What you're inspiring in my mind as you're sort of talking about that innovation opportunity is how the pharmacy may actually become more widely integrated into the broader healthcare ecosystem so that there's a collaboration of sorts or a partnership that develops at a community level where the system of healthcare is one collective ecosystem across all disciplines, across all areas of expertise and specialization that when you think about it then from the customer experience, and by customer I mean the consumer of healthcare, the citizen, the person who has some kind of issue or goal in mind for their own health, they may start their journey in healthcare in other areas. It may be mental health, it may be uh, musculoskeletal, neurological, for example, could be diet. And that could then open up some amazing opportunities to kind of find that Venn between what this person needs to support them, which could be, as you say, food-related or nutritionally underpinned therapeutics in combination potentially with other medications, more traditional medications in the current context. What are your thoughts on that? Is that radical thinking? Is that too far out of the box? Or is this where it's going? It's probably a longer term play, but I think retail pharmacies are really starting to think about this and think about ways that they can engage their audience, their consumers from a different perspective, which is why I think it's critically important that they stay in operation because a lot of times actually pharmacists are already doing some of this work. They get to know their clients, the consumers, and they're able to help in a more holistic fashion, really guide them. And a lot of those consumers really trust pharmacists. And so I think it really is a great way for those retail pharmacies to get the pharmacists out from behind the counter and really help integrate them in terms of the whole supermarket, right? So that you have a really great blend. So I think it's probably a little ahead of its time, but I do think that we have some really innovative retail pharmacies that are already thinking and moving that way. To me, again, it seems like a logical natural extension where perhaps the pharmacy could become a referral pathway for a consumer who has built a relationship with the pharmacist and that pharmacist starts to have a, a more profound understanding of this person and their healthcare needs. And they may act as a referral point or alternatively, they may be participating where that person is interacting with another part of healthcare as joining into the team and being part of an alliance of sorts that actually supports the outcomes. What I can see here in Australia is that probably is a more realistic idea for settings around disability and aged care, particularly around the home care type settings. And so with that in mind, I want to find out, I guess, your sense of where digital health is going in this area with asymmetric healthcare delivery models, with telehealth and things of that nature. Are you seeing that opportunity in and around the pharmacy industry as well? That actually is one of the benefits of really this technology innovation that we've moved, I feel, and really propelled ourselves the last couple of years, given our restraints in terms of being able to really, you know, leave our home um, with COVID. So telemedicine, I think that will play a huge part going forward. 
I think it's good for certain things. You know, maybe you have a sick kid or you need sort of a quick attention. I think shifting that model to sort of that's your where you see your GP and you have to maybe figure out taking your own pulse and your aunt and your elderly, that is going to be a really big challenge for them in terms of technology. But I do think that it's really valuable for more of the one-off scenarios, unless we can sort of give them which technology is, right? The ability to more easily do those biometrics, right? For them to understand where they are. But I think that'll be a hiccup for some of the generation. But I do think it's a really great way that we can choose sort of our, our method of how we would like to receive care. And I think sort of being able to have a choice in that is as we see the Gen Z, the millennials, I think that's what we're looking for in terms of healthcare and general wellness. My observations of the healthcare system broadly are that it does cater better for some than it does for others. And so that's kind of evidence that we don't have the perfect healthcare solution for everyone. There seems to be a subset of the population that's more amenable or perhaps it's more intuitively aligned with how they want to receive healthcare and how they get supported through their own journeys. So there's a lot of gaps, I would say. And I think as we become more diverse populations over time, that's complicated even further. So there's great opportunity, I think, by understanding that better and getting to know the consumer more and developing higher resolution personas and sort of understanding how healthcare would fit into their lives better, how it supports their goals, how it's more in tune and more intuitive, I guess, with where, when, and how they would like to receive healthcare. That means that we need to break down some of that structured thinking around the only way we do this is in a physical universe. In other words, here's a bricks and mortar set up and you must move from one location to the next in order to participate in the healthcare system. It's about sort of finding a variety of ways that are naturally aligned with human beings or particularly the human beings that you're designing for. And it's not sort of breaking the whole world in the process. It's kind of incremental. Would you resonate with that? Do you get a sense of that with the clients that XIL is consulting to? I would resonate with that and agree. I think in all technology, you're going to have early adopters. You're going to have folks that still like to operate the way they operate. That's You always have that sort of bell curve there. But I do think to your point, there is really great opportunity for health tech innovation. And what our clients are really looking for is is something different. So XIL Impact is sort of one of the first technology platforms that we've launched. We leverage and love to use our data to build platforms. So there's definitely more to come there and a lot of opportunity that I think companies can really have a chance to figure out to your point and break into. You've sort of touched on how the cost side and how some of the programs that operate in healthcare can benefit from knowing that better through analytics and through as real time as possible access to information so that you're able to make adjustments as necessary before it becomes a problem for your business, particularly around profitability and sustainability in a financial sense for that organization. But there's also an element of what XIL does, which is about product development that is driving value. What is the context of product development there? Could you share a little bit more about that? What does the word product development mean from a consultant's point of view? 
That's an interesting question. From a consultant's point of view, I think part of it is we have the ability as consultants and really focusing on the economic side of healthcare to see across the board what's going on with our clients in the healthcare sector. So a lot of times product development can look like creating products for our clients that are maybe different and sort of add to their portfolio. Other times it can look like partnerships. It can look like us creating our own technology, which you know we've done with Exile Impact. And really what that came from was on the consulting side, we were getting asked a lot to sort of help them understand the reimbursement or repricing of a contract that led us to create our own tool. So there are sort of different ways that product innovation can go, but really a lot of it is looking at what's happening in the marketplace as it relates to our clients and building that missing piece for them in a way that we've done with, like I said, with impact or other platforms. It's not strictly speaking a piece of software in and of itself. It could be, as you say, how your client can form cooperatives and partnerships to add value to their clients or alternatively how the bundling of how a service might work is put together. That could be another example of a product. Is that a fair characterization? Exactly. Yes. It's really taking, you know, understanding each client's needs and sort of where they are in their space and where they are as a company and what they're looking to do. So product innovation can definitely have you know, different definitions based on that client. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I think that goes to what we were talking about a little bit earlier around, it's not always about a piece of tech. I mean, tech is valuable, but if humans don't interact with it, they're not getting any benefit out of it. It's kind of, it's a moot point. Whereas if we've got the context of innovation as being, yes, it could be a tool or it could also be a collaboration or it could be a training. It could be a variety of things that are actually just obtaining gains in benefit, in value that are not the same as it was being done yesterday. And we can think outside the box when we sort of take the idea of innovation as not strictly being confined to a technology. It can also be culture. I think that's kind of what I was trying to join the dots with in terms of understanding some of that value that you offer clients around the strategizing, around the consultation piece as well. That shouldn't be underestimated or understated how important it is to actually step out of your business or step out of the thing that you're managing all day, every day, whether it's healthcare, whether it's pharmacy, whatever it happens to be, and actually look at it from the outside in and get a sense of what is the market needing? What are the pain points of clients? What are the problems that they're experiencing? And then look at the way we're currently doing things and see whether there are already available complementary goods or services that can come together to be able to address that pain point or problem for the client. And that's something I think that gets missed in the healthcare industry, the value of the consultant and being able to actually think about those things, what's available, scan the market, as well as potentially build something new when it can't be found anywhere else. Is that sort of a reasonable summary of, I guess, how the role of XIL Health works in combination with the tool that you've already implemented the software as a service side of things? I think you're spot on. I think what as a strategic analytics company and really focusing also on health tech and innovation, that can look like different things to different partners and strategic clients that we have. So I do think that 
one of the things and benefits is if you work at, at a company, you might only know that pocket, that slice. And so being able to bring in someone from the outside to sort of be able to assess and help from a different point of view, we're really big on knowledge transfer, you know, generally even from a partnership side and also from technology, you know, with Exile Impact, we do help a lot of our clients understand a little bit more of the ins and outs of the tool and, and what that means for them as it relates to their bottom line and, and things like that. So we're really big on trying to leave folks with more information than when we started. And like I said, that can look like a myriad of, of different things, but it's really something that I think is a key differentiator at Exile Health. So we're really focused on the strategic innovation. And again, that can be tech, which is where the last few years our, our focus has really been and where it will continue to be. But we also do have strategic clients that we work with where maybe innovation steps a little bit outside of that technology too. That's great. I'm a strong believer in that. I think co-designing, co-creating, co-innovating really is the way forward. We've sort of had a history of very proprietary, closed loop type systems that are trying to solve problems for customers and markets. That has a lot of lag in it. I mean, it's very beneficial for the people who have the proprietary interest, but what it means is we as a human race have to wait until (laughs) that proprietary exercise is undertaken and runs through to completion. Whereas um, if we take an abundance model and we sort of look at all the resources that we typically go in, I love that term knowledge transfer and knowledge management. I think that's part of the ethos of co-doing things where you pick up the expertise and specializations of uh, various organizations and put them together. And that's really hard to do from one organization, but it's actually really easy to do when you have an attitude of bringing people in and doing that crowdsourcing of the various skills, capabilities, and resources that are needed to actually do that innovation. And so I resonate a lot with that. It's actually quite central to what we're doing at Health Tech X as well. Well, firstly, just acknowledge uh, there's been some awards that have been won recently with XIO Health. I understand you're quite a fast-growing outfit. Has, uh, is that sort of a, a really encouraging signal and expected signal from the market based on the value you're offering? Did COVID play a role in that? Tell us a little bit about that achievement. Yes. So we were recognized as an Inc. 5000 winner. And so I think that actually did really come from the shift we've been making the last three and a half years. You know, we started to make a move really into technology as it relates to healthcare. You know, what's interesting about COVID and sort of, you know, I touched on the winners and losers that have existed as it relates to business. I think COVID sort of slowed everyone down just a little bit. That was a really great year for us to continue to really think through how do we want to move further into technology innovation and really the gaps that we're looking to fill in the marketplace and the strategic partnerships that we're looking to forge sort of long-term as we continue that pivot. So it's definitely been years in the making, but I do think COVID helped solidify that a little bit, especially with the launch of Exile Impact and onboarding, you know, some really great partners there onto the platform. I think that's a really exciting achievement that we've seen. And I do think it is sort of just the beginning. I'm excited for 
the next year in terms of what that means for us and our company. Congratulations on that. I see XAL Health and the work that you're doing with the team there is really fitting that kind of idea of being an innovative healthcare advisor. And it's fantastic that you've been able to support it with some technological productization as well, which is, it comes about in absolutely the best possible way. You've worked with clients, you've identified the problem, you've got a high degree of empathy and a high resolution view as to what the problem is and what the solution could be. And you've implemented the analytics platform there to be able to support not just that client, but future clients in the process. So I think that's fantastic. One last question I was sort of put to you, which is more keeping with the tradition of the show. It's kind of, you know, how do you see the world changing over the next sort of five to 10 years, given the product that you've released with the analytics platform, given the strategy that XIL Health is anticipating is likely to crystallize? Over the next five years, where we see XIL Health and XIL Impact going is really evolving it to be a true custom-based analytics platform for healthcare. So again, that's a really complex thing that I'm boiling down to make it seem easy. And it is when you're dealing with sort of the reimbursement or the really the dollar side and the supply chain, it's a complicated feat. So it's certainly something that we are looking at. We're adding new products to XIL Impact. We added Two this year, um, we're looking to add another one Q1 of next year. But I also think that where we could potentially take Exhale Impact is really interesting in getting much more involved in the, the startup healthcare community in terms of the knowledge that we can help them bring to the table as they are growing in ways that we can help fill the gap of how the industry works and the best strategic shifts that they can take to really grow their business. So I see that as something that's really interesting. And I think also in the next five years, a really interesting space to watch is really in the unfunded business, which is to say the cash space and sort of what's happening for consumers who, because of health insurance, have really high deductible healthcare plans where they need to pay completely out of pocket for their medications. So I think those sort of three areas are going to be really interesting for us to continue to develop moving forward. Yeah, very interesting. And you called that the cash, sorry, what was the term that you used there? The unfunded business. Yes, yeah, sorry, the cash card space is probably a is a better term for that. Oh, so un, unfunded meaning that there's no Medicare or there's no Medicaid or private health insurance uh, covering. Correct, just gets completely out of pocket. Right, right. right. And would you see that sort of being a fintech solution or is that sort of uh, something where the actual product vendors participating in some way, making it easier to gain access to those products without an upfront fee per se? Yeah, it'll be, you know, really helping give the consumers the best possible price for those medications to really make sure that they stay adherent, taking their medication, taking it as prescribed. So I think Although we're shifting to, in my opinion, as a society closer to wellness, I do think that's a much longer term play. So in the interim, how can you make sure that we're giving as much access to care, whether that's taking your medication, whether that's being able to access a doctor, a pharmacist. So, you know, really trying to help make it easy to get the care and access that consumers are looking for. It's quite a complex challenge because it is supply, it's access, it's affordability, it's behavioral change. There's just so many layers to this. 
I really like that idea of the wellness convergence and it's kind of bringing these things together and perhaps shifting it more into preventative and as opposed to reactive. I don't think we get away from acute healthcare, to be honest. The world no. has risks. These things happen. But I think generally speaking, there's quite a lot of other conditions that people deal with chronically that perhaps could be avoided with better education and planning and perhaps how we actually nourish and feed both our bodies and minds going forward. There's tremendous innovation opportunity. But once again, it needs that kind of strategic thinking to challenge the status quo, to look at the problems and the gaps and the opportunities that currently exist. And that's where we need the innovative advisors in the mix as well. And with that said, I really appreciate you coming on today and sharing your thoughts on exactly that, Alexandra. Much appreciated. Thank you so much, Yanni. We are just getting started. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I know that's the case. Thanks, Alexandra. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.